0: If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's stand as we open God's Word together. We're going to begin this series on true healing and look at over the next four weeks, four areas where we need the healing touch of God in our lives so often. Today we're talking about true healing of the heart. I think it's the most important area of healing that we can talk about, that we can discuss, that we can experience. So beginning with verse 24, let's look at this promise that Ezekiel made as a prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord God saying that the Lord says, "'For I will take you from the nations.'" This is verse 24 in chapter 36. "'I will take you from the nations "'and gather you from all countries "'and will bring you into your own land. "'I will also sprinkle clean water on you, "'and you will be clean. "'I will cleanse you from all your impurities "'and all of your idols. "'I will give you a new heart "'and put a new spirit within you. "'I will remove your heart of stone "'and give you a heart of flesh.'" I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Then you will live in the land that I gave your fathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will summon the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine on you. I will also make the fruit of the trees and the produce of the field plentiful so that you will no longer experience reproach among the nations on account of famine. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that this precious promise has been fulfilled in a way that we can all get in on all that it means. Lord, we also have the responsibility of Ezekiel. We have the responsibility to share it with others who need to hear this same message. Lord, I pray we would be faithful with that, that the God who has healing in his hands has chose us as his instruments of grace in this world. Not only recipients, Lord, but unselfishly sharing it with others. Empower us to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I should have mentioned this nursery rhyme before the kids left. Most of you are very familiar with it. Uh, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. I don't know why so many nursery rhymes were tragic when I was a kid, but this was a tragic one. Perhaps it was to remind us of the futility of government efforts, you know, of trying to bring healing and restoration and putting things together because the king's horses, the king's men, really couldn't do anything about Humpty Dumpty. But I read an alternate version of it. It went something like this, and maybe this would be the path we would choose. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, but he didn't get bruised. He didn't get bumped because Humpty Dumpty, this time, bungee jumped. (laughs) So, Maybe that's what we need, something in our life to keep us from getting bruised, to keep us from getting broken, to keep our world from being so cracked apart. Have you noticed that even the secular humanists are struggling what to do with with the fact that the world's not getting better, That, that we live in a broken world? I mean, there are people who have tried to deny that that are now having to face what it is. And we have the answer. We know the one who brings healing and who brings restoration. Now, the subject of healing permeates the Scriptures, no doubt about it. And the subject of healing addresses different issues, and that's why I've chosen this to be a a kind of a four-week study to look at different areas of healing, beginning with true healing of the heart. But there's a reason that I titled this, True Healing. And we want to be sure that we're speaking where the Bible speaks i not making too many assumptions elsewhere, but there are, with, as with all doctrines, kind of two extremes that people tend to take when it comes to the subject of healing of any kind. One extreme is what we would call abuse. The other is called neglect. There are those who take the doctrine of healing in the Scriptures And they abuse that doctrine. They make it mean all kinds of things that the Bible never intended it to mean. And they get into all kinds of types of theology that can't be supported by Scripture when it comes. As a matter of fact, I've read even this week of other cases where there were kind of some phony baloney folks out there that were manipulating some things. And one even explained as he left um, this ministry of being a faith healer, he said, Here were all the tricks of the trade and named a mentor who had trained him in some of these tricks of deceiving people into believing that they had experienced some kind of healing. So I know that there are phony leaders when it comes to this area. There are people who claim to be preachers who are manipulating and playing tricks on people. But many of us would fall into the category, not of of falling prey to that or giving into that, especially in, in maybe a Baptist church setting. Many of us would fall into the category of Wanting not to be duped by that, so we go to the other extreme, which is neglect. Rather than abusing the doctrine, we forget that the Bible is replete with verses about the power of God's healing touch in our lives. And so there's abuse on the one hand, there's neglect, and both of those extremes should be avoided at all costs. We should want to be biblical in our understanding of healing, so we're going to look at some passages over this next month and see what the Bible says in these four areas. We'll begin with our hearts. We'll move to our homes. There is still hope for the home in this world. And then we will look at our hurts. And when I say hurts there, I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about emotional. I'm talking about those uh, hurts that we have in our life. Some of them are self-inflicted, and some of them are simply because we are living in a sin-fallen world where we fall victim to the sins of others as well as our own. And so we'll talk about healing from those hurts, and I believe many of us need that message during this time. And then finally, we will look at what the Bible says about physical healing, that God is still alive and well, he still has all power, and he acts sovereignly in ways that sometimes blow our minds. And so we'll look at all of those areas over these next four weeks. But starting today with healing of the heart, I'm reminded that Jeremiah had promised in chapter 33 that Israel's wounds would be healed one day. That they would be brought back, that they would be restored in a way that God would begin to prepare them as a place of peace, he said, and a place of truth, that he would create the environment, he would create the culture for the gospel, for Messiah, for Jesus Christ to step into this world, who would be that ultimate healer. And so we begin today talking about the heart. It's the most prominent area of healing in the Bible, and it's certainly the greatest need our world has today is the need that the depraved heart presents. Ezekiel, chapter 36. You know, Ezekiel's name means God makes strong. God makes strong. You learned to sing it when you were a little child. We are weak. But he is strong, and I believe there are some people that might feel weak this morning and you need to be made strong, and there are others that are weak because they're without the gospel and their hearts need to be totally revived and restored. So what does Ezekiel have to offer us? He's exiled to Babylon when he's receiving this message. He was five years away from becoming uh, uh, one who would enter into the priesthood, and instead he was taken captive. He's part of the Babylonian captivity, but he's still speaking on behalf of the people of God. Ezekiel would be known as the Holy Spirit prophet. Jeremiah certainly prophesied uh, of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, but focused more on the Father. And Isaiah becomes the prophet of the the Son, the Messianic more than any of the other prophets, it seems, uh, describing even the death of Christ. But um, Ezekiel here is the prophet of the Holy Spirit, talking about what the Holy Spirit's going to do with the gospel, even looking forward here. Uh, Verses 24 through 36 in this passage has been called the one Old Testament passage. More than any other passage in the Old Testament, this passage that we just read parallels and prophesies concerning the new covenant, the relationship that we have through uh, faith in Jesus Christ, entering into that covenant in his blood with with God the Father. And so the gospel and new life in the Spirit remind us that God wants to do something new in your life and in my life and in our world. He has an answer. The Word of God has an answer for what ails this world, and that is a depraved heart. So, so what does God say he's going to do about this? When, when Israel is restored... And this environment is established for the gospel, for Jesus Christ to come and establish a new covenant. What does the promise include? First of all, it includes the removal of this heart of guilt, the the removal of this depraved heart that stands condemned before God. The exile, the Babylonian captivity for the Jews had pictured the state of depravity, that they knew they weren't where they were supposed to be, But they couldn't do anything about it. God was going to have to initiate that process. And that's the way we are born into this world, in captivity. We are born conceived in sin. There's enough of the imago Dei, the image of God in us, to tell us we're not where we're supposed to be, we're not who we're supposed to be, but there is nothing in us that can do anything about it to save ourselves and deliver us from the desperate bondage to sin that we're in. Nothing can do anything about the guilty heart that we have responsibility of. It's all what God can do in and through us. And so we're aware that things aren't right. We look at the world and we point our fingers today and say things just aren't right. They're not what they used to be. Well, they are what they used to be. We probably glorified a little bit. But they're not what they should be in the world today. And yet God steps in. He says in verse 24, I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. I will, I will. God is the one who's going to initiate this process. When Jesus came into the world, Luke 19, 10, he came to seek and to save the lost. It's not so much that you found God, but that he found you and in your uh, state of grace that God has extended unto you, you were able to respond. He says, I will also, verse 25, sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and your idols. They were caught up certainly in idolatry. That was part of what led them into depravity. And, of course, today, idolatry is one of the biggest problems we have in the world today where there's the idols uh, of fame and fortune. We even have a TV show that just uh, ended recently, American Idol, where we want to uh, become somebody that's worshiped by others. So sometimes we're just worshiping ourselves or perhaps the idols in your life are those things that stand between you and God. It could be anything that you pursue with more passion than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so God had to perform this work. God had to step in, and he had to do something about their state of guilt that they were in. And he speaks of the sprinkling with water. And you know, that is pictured in Hebrews chapter 9, where the Spirit of God takes the blood of Jesus Christ. Here, when we, when we read about water, the water reminds us that this is the Holy Spirit's work. The sprinkling reminds us that it's the Holy Spirit who takes the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and so in Hebrews 9, the author of Hebrews is arguing, look, man, if, if, if what the blood of, of bulls and goats was insufficient for, the blood of Jesus Christ will come and, and, and it will cleanse us from all of our impurities. And In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, after he places that argument for Jesus being a greater high priest who would give himself in our place for our sins, he says, In chapter 10 and verse 22, let us draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, sprinkled clean from all of that guilt, and our bodies washed in pure water, a promise and a picture of what the Holy Spirit was going to do with the blood of Jesus Christ when he would remove our heart of guilt so that he could give us a new heart. In verse 26, we're told that he's going to remove this heart of stone, a lifeless heart. Sometimes we point our finger at the world and argue with their behaviors when they can't help do what they do because they're still dead in their trespasses and sins. Israel's cold heart was revealed earlier in the text by their embrace of the idolatry the bloodshed, the violence, and the sexual immorality. Ezekiel had already said, here's how your cold, dead heart is being revealed in all of the things that are taking place, all of the things that are prevalent in our country today. Not only when we think of the mass murders, when we think about what happened in Vegas, and we say, wow, that was a depraved individual who did that. And I've often said when I look at a a terrorist attack like that, which happened on 9-11, I say, that's a depraved heart. My depraved heart is revealed in the different punishments I can come up with for them and many who commit other crimes as well. We have a heart of depravity that needs to be restored. And so he was confronting them for for their idolatry. When we think about their bloodshed and, and their sexual immorality, you know, In Vegas, we were talking about dozens and dozens of deaths. But we forget that about every year, 16,000 murders take place across this nation. We're seeing what no other nation sees in that regard. 100,000 rapes every year. Millions of children sold into slavery Though we've denounced slavery, there are those who are abusing children as I speak in this nation today. And God would say that is an abomination and it is a depraved, dead heart that can do that and tolerate that in our world. You compare that, you know, go back to the days of the Civil War, 4,000 slaves I mean, sorry, four million slaves were emancipated. Four million. And yet every year in this country, millions and millions of children are sold into slavery. Why? Why does it happen? Jeremiah 17.9 tells us why. It says, The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Who can know the heart? Who can discern it? Who can figure out why the heart can be so desperately wicked? The problem in this world is a heart problem. It's that we're born lifeless with a dead heart, and we need a heart transplant. Perhaps you heard the story before of the man who went to the doctor. He went to Dr. Law, and he said, Dr. Law... I've got a problem with my feet. He said, Really? What's wrong with your feet? Well, my feet take me to places I really don't need to go. And so, can you do something about my feet? He goes, Well, tell me what else is going on. He said, Well, doctor, I, I've got a problem with my head. You having severe headaches? He said, No, my, my head, I begin to think about things that I shouldn't think about. So, Dr. Law, what can I do? And, and then he said, and, and, and Dr. Law, I have a problem with my hands. My hands are involved in behavior. I, I do things with my hands I wish that I wouldn't do, and, and I find myself getting in trouble and all of this. And, and, he, and so the doctor checked him out and says, yes, you do have a problem with your feet. Yes, you do have a problem with your hands. Yes, you do have a problem with your head. He said, but unfortunately, those are all just symptoms of the problem. It's not your feet. It's not your hands. It's not your head. Your problem is your heart. And he says, well, I'm glad that you could diagnose it. No, I guess this doctor, he, he, he was just a, a symptoms monitor. He was not able to, to perform any kind of function, any kind of uh, surgery that would correct this man. He says, You know, I could give you new hands, I could give you new feet, but it really wouldn't change anything. He said, Sir, what you need is a heart transplant. And he said, Well, can you give me a heart transplant? And he said, No, I can't do that. I'm Dr. Law. I just diagnosed your problem, but across the hall, I want you to go see my friend. His name is Dr. Grace, and Dr. Grace can do what I can't do, and he can give you a brand new heart. So your problem is not all of the symptoms that you see. The problem is a problem of the heart. We have a nation that we live in today that needs healing today because people's hearts are depraved. People's hearts are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the gun laws in the world are not the answer. Redefining marriage and sexuality and teaching people to be tolerant is not the answer. Protesting depravity has never worked. America needs the gospel. America is full of depraved hearts. And if we want to make a difference in America, then we need to get the message of the gospel out there. And we need to do what we did this morning and hit our knees. And I believe that if men would quit thinking that kneeling during the national anthem would, was the answer and start coming into a place of worship and kneeling at an old-fashioned altar and saying, God, change my heart, change my life, and make me an instrument of your grace so that I can be an agent of change in this world, and instead of protesting, I'm going to do something about the problems and the sins of the world that I see. I'm going to take the love of Christ, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, and I'm going to be an agent of restoration and not an agent of division, then we would see God work in a powerful way in our land. And as Paul told Timothy, as I mentioned earlier, started he said, Timothy, get your men to pray. Pray for those in government positions. Pray for those in authority. Pray for those with spiritual leadership. We've got to be a praying people, but praying for God to continue to do a work in our hearts and to use us to take the unsearchable riches of Christ to this world because that and that alone is the answer that the world needs. God wants to remove that cold, lifeless heart. But it doesn't stop right there. It's not just a God about getting rid of this, getting rid of that. He says, by the way, anytime God wants to take something away from you, he's got something better. Remember this, young people. Anytime God wants to take something out of your life, it's because he's got something better. He was going to replace it. There was going to be this new heart. So I want us to look at verse 26 and see the renewal of a heart by grace. The renewal of a heart by grace. He says, I will give you a new heart heart. I'm going to put a new spirit. Now, spirit in my translation is not capitalized here because he's doing something in our spirit, the spirit of a man, that is making us a brand new person in his eyes. But we're also told that this is the work of the Holy Spirit, I believe correctly translated. If we look down in verse uh, 27, we're going to see that this new spirit is under control Of the Holy Spirit, I will place my, capital S, Spirit, the Holy Spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Why don't people obey the word of God anymore? Why don't they care what the Bible says? Why don't they do what the Bible says and we point our fingers at the world and we already know the answer to that and that is they can't. They can't. Until they receive a new heart, they are not empowered and enabled. And so many times we're we're preaching Christian ethics to people who have no power to live out those ethics. And so they can't help but say, I have to reject your message because you're speaking of impossibilities. This is a a picture of the new covenant that was coming. In Jeremiah 31 Verses 31 to 33, Jeremiah prophesied of this covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. He says, I'm going to establish a new covenant, and I'm going to write my laws in their hearts. It's not going to be outward confirmation to the law anymore. It's going to be an inward transformation of the heart as my spirit comes to live inside of them. And We're reminded, and we need to remember this as we preach and reach out to those who are outside of the faith We need to be reminded of Paul's words to the church at Ephesus. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, a very familiar passage to many of you. But I think we need to be reminded of it often. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Why could you not do that which was right? Because you had no life in which you previously walked according to the worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and by nature we were children under wrath, as the others were also. Good news right here. Verse 4. But God, who is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive. We didn't just up and decide to turn over a new leaf. God did something transformational in our hearts. He made us alive with the Christ, with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace you are saved He also raised us up with him. We're told that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now gives life to our mortal bodies, but he says he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. As the result of all that, it's a pure heart. Matthew 5 8 speaks about, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see the kingdom. Romans 5 5 tells us that our hope is unashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has supernaturally given us a new heart. And his love now flows into us and through us and shines. And makes us a light unto the world as we take a stand for Christ. You know, when we get ready to enlist help in making this world a better place. When we ask people to serve on various ministry teams in our church. When we ask people to share their faith or or to enlist volunteers to work with children and talk to them about Jesus, we, we don't go to the cemetery and speak to those who are lifeless and say, Won't you get up and come help us? And in the same way, when the church has the answer, we don't go to the world and we don't look at human governments and human institutions and say, Won't you help us? Won't you get this right? They need the gospel, they need Jesus, they're without the power until they experience the grace of God. And so our greatest prayer life should be, first of all, to make sure our heart is right with God, that we're seeking his face, first and foremost, that we've been born again by his grace and we've received that new heart, and then to pray for others to receive the same and tell them how they can experience that. Why do we expect an unregenerate world to love like Christ loves and do what Christ would do? Yeah, the the image of God in every man and woman gives them some sense, some comprehension. But if they have not come to a place where they've put their faith in Christ, listen, we're told in Scripture that anything not of faith is sin. If it's not of faith, it's sin. So if they're not acting according to their faith in Jesus Christ, if it's not done for the glory of God, even our best efforts are as filthy rags, in the eyes of a holy God and the redeemed, those of us who are born again, we're all still works in process, being conformed to the image of his son until one day we stand in heaven as righteous and as holy. Listen, when God sees me today, born again, covered in his blood, positionally, positionally I am as holy as Jesus is holy. But practically, I'm in this process called sanctification where I hope to live more like Jesus tomorrow than I did today, and I hope to live more like him today than I did yesterday. And that only reminds us of this third principle we find in the text, and that is the recovery of the heart through growth. Recovery of the heart through growth. As you kind of look at the rest of this text, verses 28 and following, it says, Then you will will live in the land that I gave your fathers, he says, you will be my people. You're going to be in this new relationship with me, and I will be your God. I will save you from your uncleanness. James, writing to believers, said, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to Brothers and sisters in Christ, when he says, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Wait a minute, I thought they were already saved. Listen, we are saved positionally from the punishment of sin, but we are being saved practically from the power of sin in our life as we become saturated with the Word of God and we become more obedient to the Word of God, as we become more in tune with walking step by step in the Spirit of God. Those are areas of growth. And so he says I will save you from your uncleanness I will summon the grain I'm going to make it plentiful I'm going to bring I will not bring famine on you I will also make the fruit of the trees and the produce of the field plentiful so that you will no longer experience reproach among the nations he says listen I'm going to do something in your life he says in verse 31 you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations, it is not for your sake that I will act. The declaration of the Lord God, let this be known to you. Be ashamed and humiliated because of your ways. House of Israel, he says, you're going to be in this process of cleansing, sanctification. You're going to say, these things were wrong. I want to be in right relationship with God. I want my life to be fruitful. We want our land to be fruitful. We want things to change. And so he says, you're going to enter into this land, this environment, there's going to be a process of change, things are going to be being made new in your midst. Sanctification, it's a long word we use to describe the process of spiritual growth in grace. Peter said this Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. So we've got to submit ourselves to growth. When you got saved, you received the heart transplant. But there's a recovery process. Many of you have been praying for Miss Jinda Austin. Now we look back at a couple of weeks and we see what God has done. We've been praying for her and in his sovereign plan that God will work things out, that she might be able to receive a heart, continue to live a fruitful life for him. And so we got that phone call on a Wednesday morning. Mark said, man, I'm headed. I didn't know he was driving 100 miles per hour at the time, but he said, I'm headed to the hospital. We got a heart. We go down, and I remember that Wednesday night when they said she's going into surgery, hearing the helicopter land there at the roof at Emory. And I'm thinking, man, this is crazy. A new heart. And then staying late into the night, getting word the next morning, the heart transplant was successful and you know what they didn't do at that point they didn't say so see you later go on home you've got a new heart everything will be okay now yes you received a new heart but now there's a process healing recovery getting used to what that new heart brings in and there are certain things that she's coming off of that she's been on for some time, certain medications she's coming off of. Now listen, I believe, and we'll talk about this when we get to physical healing, I believe that God has the power to deliver us from every sin. And Some of you experienced the supernatural hand of God, and that when you got saved, there were things that you used to wrestle with that weren't even a temptation for you anymore but for others God sovereignly chooses to work through a process where there's a letting go period and he's working with you and setting you free in that and it's having less and less that this world is losing hold of you and losing its grip on you or you are becoming more and more in the grip of the grace of Jesus Christ the church in the 21st century you've heard this said before the church It's not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And in the 21st century, the church is going to have to be a cardiac ICU, helping people to adjust because the world, everything people are are letting go of, everything they're coming off of, has had them for so long and it's been so severe in their life. But there's good news even in this. Malachi prophesied concerning this season this way. He says, the son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings and we will grow up and we will joyfully leap like a calf leaving its shoot. Isn't that exciting to think? I don't want to think of a calf. I want to think of that, that, that bull at the rodeo, man, when it's, when it's let go, man. It's just leaping. But this is a joyful, this is, this is like a young calf that's got this new life and this new energy and he says, this is what I want to do in your life. As you understand what it means that you've got a new heart and you're recovering and it's going to lead to some wonderful things. But along the way, you've got to be careful with this new heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart because out of it flow all the issues of life. So our hearts can still be hurt. Our hearts can still be spiritually damaged and broken even though we've been given a new heart. And sometimes in our lives, we come to a place like in Psalm 51, we need to pray and cry out. Remember David? David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who was given a a new heart, but he said this in Psalm 51 because he gave in to the sexual immorality, the adultery, even leaving Bathsheba's husband on the front line to be killed. David would find himself far from God when Nathan would point out his sin and he would say, you are the man in a way that wasn't a good thing to hear back in that time. You're the one in need of the judgment of God. What did David pray? Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. He cried out, Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. So, under the sound of my voice, there could be folks this morning who are saying, I've never received a new heart. But others who would say, I haven't taken good care of the new heart that I did receive. And in brokenness, we need to come before God and say, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew that right spirit in me. Everything that you promised, everything you prophesied that came true in Jesus Christ, when I by faith put my trust in him and you gave me a heart transplant, God, I want to be a better steward of that heart. And I ask you to cleanse it and heal heal that heart fresh and anew. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?